am not an expert on consciousness. I told you, I'm an imposter. Nobody can be an expert until we really know what consciousness is. I do have some expertise, though. I attained my PhD in neuroscience at the University of Michigan, and I've had some accomplished mentors. I'm an expert in the temporally integrated causality landscape since I developed it. I've carried out a lot of experiments, most of which have failed. I'm a pretty good rodent neurosurgeon, and I try to be as well-read in the literature as I can be, a task which I admit is impossible these days. Giulio Tononi and many others are now experts in Integrated Information Theory, IIT. There are experts in Global Neuronal Workspace Theory. I have talked about these theoretical models on the podcast before, but I'm not an expert. I just try to read and understand what I can and think about its implications. I've largely focused on the experimental evidence and the philosophical ideas behind those theories that have been most influential to me or have captured my attention. How do we know if an idea is plausible and sensible, especially if it is described in its own labyrinth of new vocabulary and concepts? It takes a lot of work. When I was first exposed to IIT, I could hardly make any sense of it. It was counterintuitive. I remember asking Julio, are you claiming that consciousness is integrated information? I wasn't having it. After writing a lot of my own ideas and then struggling through the IIT literature, I gained more respect for it. I began to understand what it was saying, and then I could reasonably compare and contrast my own ideas with the insights that that theory contains. In the end, there is a lot in common between the frameworks, mine and IIT. The differences are critical, though. I was recently contacted by Andrew Fingelkertz, who, along with Alexander Fingelkertz, developed a theory of consciousness known as operational architectonics. He informed me that he had read my paper on the temporally integrated causality landscape, and he sent some of his publications. I've been reading the papers he sent me along with some others, and I've been corresponding with Andrew to gain a better understanding of his framework. It turns out that operational architectonics is one of a set of theories that have been proposed for consciousness which rely upon the electromagnetic field. In order for you to understand how radical this idea is from my perspective, I should give you some context. A principle called the neuron doctrine has been understood and widely accepted since the early 20th century. According to this principle, individual neurons are the fundamental functional elements of the nervous system. Neurons signal to one another by means of synaptic transmission that occurs when an action potential arrives at the tip of an axonal projection. In this way, signals are rapidly transported from cell to cell to cell. Crucial to this process is the neuron's membrane potential. Like any cell, the neuron has a lipid bilayer membrane which prevents charged particles from freely crossing in and out of the cell. Transport proteins maintain the cell's interior concentration of ions, especially sodium, potassium, and negatively charged chloride, such that the resting membrane potential is something like minus 60 millivolts relative to the extracellular space. This means that the neuron's membrane is electrically polarized. Synapses on the dendrites have a high concentration of neurotransmitter receptors. These respond to the presence of neurotransmitter molecules, usually glutamate, by allowing sodium ions to pass into the cell, resulting in depolarization. In response to synaptic activities, the membrane potential of the cell might move from minus 60 millivolts to minus 40 millivolts, for example. This lasts a short time before the cell is returned to its resting potential. At the cell body, there is a high concentration of voltage-gated sodium channels at a location called the axon initial segment. 
If a threshold potential is reached for these channels to open, an action potential will occur. As I have described before, the neurons are arranged into specific networks that are understood to be carrying out all of the important functions for which the brain is appreciated. Scientific frameworks for consciousness seek to account for the neuronal correlates of consciousness by determining what the relevant regions of the brain are doing when we are having a conscious experience. This can be contrasted with what those regions are up to during non-conscious states. What we mean by doing here is how neurons are behaving, the firing of action potentials, and ultimately how networks of neurons are behaving. A crude way to measure neuronal activity is by EEG. This technique, which uses electrodes positioned on the scalp to measure the activity going on in the cerebral cortex, does not distinguish individual neurons, but rather a massive number of neuronal activities are necessarily summated. This is described well in a chapter by Gary Westbrook in Principles of Neuroscience. He writes, quote, Extracellular recording can also detect the synchronized activity of large numbers of cells. Such signals are called field potentials. At the slow time resolution of extracellular recording, field potentials appear as single electrical transients called spikes. These macroscopic events should not be confused with spikes of single neurons, which represent individual action potentials lasting only one or two milliseconds. The EEG represents a set of field potentials as recorded by multiple electrodes on the surface of the scalp." Unquote. Skipping over a bit, Westbrook writes, quote, the electrical activity of the EEG is an attenuated measure of the extracellular current flow from the summated activity of many neurons. However, not all cells contribute equally to the EEG. The surface EEG predominantly reflects the activity of cortical neurons close to the EEG electrode." Unquote. Andrew Finkelkertz and his co-authors summarize the main ideas that they have published in a 2019 article on operational architectonics. They write, quote, In the first paper, a coherent picture of brain-mind functioning based on general concepts of space and time as they are known in contemporary theoretical physics was described in detail. We substantiated our general approach by an experimentally backed framework of the operational architectonics, OA, of brain and mind functioning, according to which the mind phenomenological nested architecture and brain operational nested architectonics represent complementary aspects of the same unified metastable continuum." Unquote. Okay, let's unpack this a bit before we go on. When they say mind phenomenological nested architecture, what they mean is that the conscious mind consists of interrelated contents, so you could describe perceptual features as part of nested structures. I agree with this framing. The objects that we see have different features bound together, and we can understand different objects as being nested in a scene, and so on. The authors suggest, I think reasonably, that the brain's operations, by which they mean processes, are also arranged in nested architecture. So the processes going on in the brain are nested in a way that is complementary to the way that conscious contents are nested. I like it. This is a lot like I suggested in the TICL, in which different subsystems occur in a common system elements of which can overlap between one subsystem and another. Finally, they say that the mind's nested architecture and the brain's nested architecture are complementary aspects of the same unified metastable continuum. What the hell does that mean? According to the article, quote, metastability refers to the interplay of two complementary tendencies of cooperative integration 
and autonomous fragmentation, unquote. Fine, so they mean integration and differentiation, features of thalamocortical function that I've discussed before on the podcast. Let's continue. Quote, in accordance with this perspective, the brain constructs a continuum of dynamic spatial temporal patterns from a multisensory stream of neural events caused by the spatial temporal patterns of the outside physical world, external physical space-time. The internal physical space-time of the brain is responsible for such operations, that is the reordering and recombination of signals from the outside physical world." Unquote. What they are saying is that signals in the real physical world are picked up by the brain, which processes them internally to produce a phenomenal world, the conscious mind. Skipping ahead a bit, they say, quote, operational patterns of electromagnetic fields directly self-present phenomenal spatial temporal patterns at the higher level of abstractness, phenomenal space-time, unquote. All right, as I said, operational patterns just means patterns of brain function. The claim here is that phenomenal space-time, what we experience, is an emergent property of the brain's electromagnetic field. Since it is both unified and composed of different activities, this is their answer to the binding problem. I like this idea of phenomenal space-time. It is reminiscent of what I was talking about in the last episode. The electromagnetic field is measured in OA studies using EEG. In a second article by Fingelkurtz et al., this one from 2012, they write, quote, According to the OA framework, each homogeneous segment in the EEG signal corresponds to a temporary stable microstate, an operation executed by a neuronal assembly. The transition from one segment to another then reflects the moment of abrupt switching from one neuronal assembly operation to another. Rapid transitional processes occurring in the amplitude of a continuous EEG activity mark the boundaries between quasi-stationary segments for this activity." Unquote. They say that the features of different conscious contents are bound together because of synchrony between different operations at different cortical locations. As I said, I am not an expert on OA. In fact, I've just started learning about it. But let me compare operational architectonics to the TICL framework. In episode two, I named the characteristics of human consciousness as I see them. I discussed these in reference to the temporally integrated causality landscape in episode six. For this discussion, I will take what I said about uh, how TICL deals with the characteristics of consciousness, and I will add to it how OA seems to handle those characteristics. I said first that consciousness is a unified composition of contents. I have said that they are unified by integration and compositional because of differentiation. In the TICL, this is accomplished because all of the contents emerge from subsystems that are also part of the larger integrated system. According to OA, Consciousness is unified because there is one common electromagnetic field in the brain with different dynamics going on at different places. This suggests that conscious contents are associated with those different dynamics going on at different places in the cortex. Next, I said that conscious contents are specific and meaningful. In the TICL, this occurs because every subsystem is necessarily differentiated from every other possible subsystem, and the subsystems are composed of neuronal networks that are arranged into hierarchies and topographical maps. The emergent content gets its meaning in its relationship to other coexisting and potential contents. Stimuli from, say, the primary visual cortex, fire action potential messages that influence neurons inside of the network, 
So the material world acting on receptor systems causes action potential signals, which then reach the primary cortex by way of the thalamus. They've undergone some processing along the way. When stimuli reach the integrated system, if those stimuli are powerful enough, they will cause a subsystem to form, and the system will experience the outcome. If the stimulus is from the primary visual cortex, it will come at a particular place within the cortical maps. Accordingly, the system will have a visual experience at the associated location. How does OA deal with conscious contents that are specific and meaningful? Well, I haven't seen it described by Finkelkurtz in these terms, but it seems to me that OA handles these characteristics in a similar way to the TICL. Contents are specified by the space-time geometry of the electromagnetic field. Following the reasoning to which I availed myself in creating the TICL, the meaning should occur in the relationships among differentiated operations. That is, there are differentiated components of the electromagnetic field in the brain. Third, I said that conscious contents exist from a point of view. In the TICL, the point of view is that of the entire integrated system, that large set of neurons that make up the network having a non-zero level of temporally integrated causality. In common with most other theories, the point of view is not explicitly addressed, at least not that I have seen in the OA literature. However, in accordance with the TICL, I would suggest that the point of view is implied to be that of the whole electromagnetic field. That large unified electromagnetic field would experience the dynamics within it in terms of phenomenal space-time. Fourth, I said that consciousness is continuous. In the TICL, this is true for as long as a large network sustains a non-zero level of temporally integrated causality. During states of non-consciousness, this is made impossible because of the tendency of neurons in the thalamocortical system to switch into down states after periods of firing. This disrupts the flow of causality and dissolves the system. With local neuronal networks unable to communicate broadly, the point of view has no access to the contents that they might provide. How about OA? The electromagnetic field is continually sustained by the underlying neural activities. The synchronous activity of the EEG is segmented and non-continuous, so temporal continuity according to OA is an illusion. This of course might be the case, but I don't think it is. Presumably, during states of non-consciousness, the electromagnetic field would have to be catastrophically different if we were to believe that consciousness is a property of the brain's electromagnetic field. As I have described previously, neuronal activity in the cortex is not reduced during non-REM sleep. Rather, the EEG shows increased synchrony. In the second paper by Fingelkurtz et al., this is addressed in a way that seems reasonable. The authors write, quote, The OA theory predicts that both low and high levels of operational synchrony among neuronal assemblies would result in a dramatic fading of consciousness. In the first case, consciousness is likely to vanish in the presence of many small, short-lived neuronal assemblies that perform their operations totally independently from one another, functional disconnection. In the second case, a state of hypersynchrony of operations of large, long-lived, and stable neuronal assemblies would also lead to the vanishing of consciousness. This is so because excessively abundant brain connectivity, resulting in a loss of individual specificity of the brain's individual elements, would again lead to low values of information integration and consequently to the fading of conscious expression." Unquote. So here again, our reasoning agrees even though our starting premises about the identity of consciousness differ. Finally, I said that consciousness is limited and coherent, that most stimuli which could be conscious at a given time are not. In the TICL, this occurs 
because the vast majority of neuronal group activities do not achieve above threshold temporally integrated causality. If they do not achieve a high enough degree of temporally integrated causality to distinguish them from the rest of the system, then they do not have meaning from the point of view of the system. They do not form a subsystem, and their signaling is lost in the background noise. This limits consciousness. And the conscious experience is coherent because the subsystems that do occur do so upon an organized structure, so the overall experience makes sense from the point of view of the system. Coherence would seem to be achieved in OA in the same general way as it is in the, in the TICL. For OA, the limit should depend on synchrony to establish an operational module, whereas in the TICL, it depends on the level of temporally integrated causality necessary to produce a subsystem. All told, it seems like the reasoning underlying my theoretical framework in operational architectonics has some similarities. Both frameworks are an attempt to identify the conscious mind with something in the physical universe. But there is one very large and irreconcilable difference. I think the conscious mind is a structure of causality, and OA says that it is an electromagnetic field. What I have read on operational architectonics impresses me as a clever theory put forward by innovative thinkers, but I am skeptical about the purported role of electromagnetism in the conscious mind. I learned from Christoph Koch and others that the primary visual cortex does not directly participate in conscious visual perception. I talked about this in episode 4. In his book, The Quest for Consciousness, Koch discusses the evidence that leads to this conclusion. One line of evidence regards dreaming. In episode 4, I said the following, Clearly when we dream, we have detailed visual experiences. At least I do. Braun et al. published the results of a dreaming study using positon, emission tomography, PET scans, in science in 1998. They found that during REM sleep, in which dreaming most commonly occurs, regional blood flow in V1 is suppressed compared to slow-wave non-REM sleep, but this is not the case in higher visual areas during REM. In searching for the NCC, we are trying to determine which structures are actually producing the qualia. According to a lot of evidence, those structures are in the cortex, but not in the primary visual cortex. This makes sense because visual illusions demonstrate clearly that we do not always experience what is being presented to our eyes. Rather, what we actually perceive occurs after some visual processing. So it seems to be the case that secondary and tertiary thalamocortical networks further along the sensory pathways produce the sensations and representations that we consciously perceive. The reason I brought this up again is that EEG is frequently carried out with electrodes positioned all over the cortex, from the occipital lobe to the frontal lobe. The operations that Finkelkurtz describes in his papers are synchronous segments of the EEG. Some of these that appear in his figures are positioned near V1, the primary visual cortex, and probably other regions of primary cortex. Recall that he wrote, quote, according to the OA framework, each homogeneous segment in the EEG signal corresponds to a temporary stable microstate, an operation executed by a neuronal assembly. The transition from one segment to another then reflects the moment of abrupt switching from one neuronal assembly, to, uh, assembly operation to another. Rapid transitional processes occurring in the amplitude of a continuous EEG activity mark the boundaries between quasi-stationary segments for this activity." Unquote. If these temporary stable microstates punctuated by rapid transitional processes in the EEG are recurring in primary visual cortex, this would be strong evidence against the theory, because the signatures that are supposed to be neural correlates of consciousness 
according to OA, would be occurring in neural tissue that does not produce conscious content. I would be interested to search the brain for field potentials in other regions to see if they too exhibit these EEG characteristics even though we know that they are not part of the conscious brain. It seems to me more parsimonious to assume that the EEG reflects what is occurring in the cells themselves. So it is a useful if crude measure of neuronal function, but the electromagnetic field that results from neural network activities is an epiphenomenon, a side effect that can be measured. Consider an electrical circuit board. Positioning an electrode near the circuit would enable the measurement of an electromagnetic field. If we place several electrodes around the circuit board, we would expect them to show different electromagnetic effects, reflecting the current that is passing through components of the circuit. But we know that the electromagnetic field is not doing the work of the circuit. Like heat, it is a physical side effect. Benjamin LeBay suggested a field theory of consciousness in his book, Mind Time, although he did not claim it was the electromagnetic field. He wrote, quote, A conscious mental field, CMF, would provide the mediator between the physical activities of nerve cells and the emergence of subjective experience. It thus offers an answer to the profound question of the non-physical mental arising from the physical. A chief quality or attribute of CMF would be that of a unified or unitary subjective experience. The putative CMF would not be in a, any category of known physical fields such as electromagnetic, gravitational, and so on. The conscious mental field would be in a phenomenologically independent category. Unquote. A bit further, LeBay described an experiment that could test this proposal. He wrote, quote, The theory of a CMF makes crucial predictions that can, at least in principle, be tested experimentally. If local areas of cerebral cortex can independently contribute to or alter the larger unitary CMF, it should be possible to demonstrate such contributions when, one, the cortical area is completely isolated or cut off from all neural communication with the rest of the brain, but two, the area remains in situ, alive and kept functioning in some suitable manner that sufficiently resembles its normal behavior. The experimental prediction to be tested would be as follows. Suitable electrical or chemical activation of the isolated tissue should produce or affect conscious experience even though the tissue has no neural connections to the rest of the brain. Communication would then have to take place in the form of some field that does not depend on nerve pathways." Unquote. I agree that LeBay's experiment would be groundbreaking if it worked, and I would be absolutely astonished if it did. This design could, in principle, determine the validity of any field theory for consciousness, electromagnetic or otherwise. And if it were proven, it would utterly disprove the TICL and IIT in one fell swoop. My money is on the other side. I predict that cutting a critical portion of cerebral cortex to carefully separate it from the rest of the brain would have precisely the same effect whether you left the isolated piece of brain in place or tossed it in the bin. The connections between neurons are absolutely critical. I don't know whether this experiment has ever been done, but I am certain that I would not volunteer to be the subject of the procedure. Mm -hmm.